Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Here we are. Look, man, let's just get right into it. You have not been the typical positive, optimistic ward as whoa, of late. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're going to come at me like that right away? Yeah, I just want to get into it because my goal in this episode is to cheer you up. You're, I think you're extrapolating from a handful of texts yes. and creating a narrative about my state of mind that is incorrect. All right. I mean, let, let me get on the record and say, <laughs> with the exception of when you and I got to go back to Bloomington and Bob Knight was involved, whether it be at the Bluebird or at Assembly Hall. And let's keep in mind, those two events had basically nothing to do with what was going on with the current program. Sure. So since we've started this podcast, this is the most fun it's been to be an IU fan, to be doing this podcast, to be interacting with friends old and new who care about this program. This has been a total blast. And yes, it's been a roller coaster but i i'm i'm loving it and i'm actually not in a, a real rush to get it over with one for practical reasons of like make sure we get the right guy and it's the deal's done and you know all that kind of good stuff but it's just like with everybody i've been texting with the message boards well it is amazing how the peaksters message boards have gotten nasty again in the last few days and that's really a shame and those people should just go somewhere else so we can have fun, constructive, you know, conversations about where this is going. But it's hope. Like it's, I'm so full of hope that I feel whoever out of all these candidates being bandied about, I feel all of them will give us a great chance to be a lot better than what we've been for the last four years. So to me, it's all gravy. It's all gravy. All right. But in fairness, let, let's not kid ourselves here. Like, let's talk about the roller coaster. The roller coaster was, we were at the peak when we thought, as it was told to us by several, we'll call them insiders, that there was a real chance at Brad Stevens. Like, we were just flying high and just kept hitting refresh and mm -hmm. looking at Twitter because we thought at any moment could come the, it's done. Like, that. that is what we, were, we thought we were on the precipice of. And it turns out, that was all just a load of crap. Yeah, it's, and, it's amazing. <laughs> and there have been several loads of crap that we have had to kind of um, sift through in the last 10 days. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm starting 10 days ago because I do want to kind of talk about the roller coaster. Okay, so, so we already covered in the last one the news of Archie being let go. But right. I'm gonna I'm gonna back up before that because I think the okay. roller coaster started before that. Okay. okay. To me, the roller coaster started. Like, let's be honest. That Rutgers game was atrocious. 
right? Mm -hmm. It was, it was, and that was about 10 days ago now, right? 11 days ago. It was Thursday. Correct. We lose the game. Our fans that are there are booing and calling for his head. Fire mm -hmm. Archie Miller. They're fire Archie. They're chanting. We don't score for nine minutes and 50 seconds. It was like everything that, that we know is bad about the last four years was shown to us in a nine minute and 50 second stretch, right? Yeah. Bad defense, a, couldn't score, bad shooting, turnovers. Bad free throws. What was that last one? Free throws, missing free throws. Free throws. It was all abysmal. So you're at like a low, you think you're at a low point, but what, we're at, what we don't know is what's going to happen now. Right. Right. It's uncertainty. The next day, most of us wake up to an article by the ultimate insider, Brian Snow, <laughs> who no one loves his own bullshit more than Brian Snow. It's his initials. And, <laughs> and you know, they say that that stuff like has real science behind it. Like, you know, like your name does help determine your lot in life. Okay. You know, there's like studies about that, that people tend to live up to the name and that when you give someone a name that does say something about them to the public and, and then it becomes a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think Michael Lewis, the other Michael Lewis who wrote, Moneyball and all those right. in Outliers. Oh no, no, Outliers yeah. with Malcolm Gladwell. Sorry, right. that he wrote about that. Um, but anyway, so he writes, Archie's not going anywhere. Basically, like I won't parse the words, but there's no pressure on Archie's job. He's not going. To, nobody in the coaching circles thinks he's going anywhere. He's safe. Well, then, as a fan, you're like, oh my god, you you just have to immediately process. As bad as that little taste of fandom was for that Rutgers game, are we going to have to go through 35 games of that next year? It was dreadful. And keep in mind, this is as everybody's starting to show up in Indianapolis to participate in the tournament. We're not going to get a party in. All of that led to you are at the lowest of low in that moment, I think. Like of the entire Archie era, to me, that that was the lowest of low a horrible season the prospect of a bad recruiting class trace jackson davis leaving everybody gathering in indianapolis for the tournament and knowing or at least thinking we're not going to fix anything right now and i would say that's the lowest we've been since kelvin got fired and the program burned to the ground because with Crean, it was up, down, up, down. But ultimately, he did leave the program better than he found it, which is not saying much. But there were plenty of peaks in there. But now we're like, holy shit. Like, we're, we're 13 plus years into this, you know, debacle. And we're no closer to being established as a national power again. That, no, that in many ways, we're worse than we were when he took over. I mean, that's what it felt like. So then... You kind of take that with you for the whole weekend, right? And it's yep. a tough weekend. We have to watch the Big Ten Championship where Ohio State is playing Illinois. And it was just awful. And then Monday happens, and he's gone. And that, a flood of emotions happened. And we talked about this a little on the last podcast. But it's a flood of emotions. But the biggest one was hope. Yep. That it just 
sprung the doors open for, as you said, the Hoosier heart, hope springs eternal. Correct. And that gave us the hope. And then, of course, it was the fun of who the hell is going to be the coach? Well, I mean, it, 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 it immediately went to Brad. Like, everybody and their mother immediately began obsessing about Brad. And, and nobody else really took any time to consider anybody else. Because immediately it was thought, there's a chance. There'll at least be a conversation. And it just snowballed from there. With every little whisper that came out from every source that was never named, it, it kept ticking along. To Within like, well, 24 hours, it went from zero to a thousand. Yeah. No doubt about it. It became like, oh, is, are they going to go after Brad? Okay, they're going after Brad. They're really going after Brad. It seems like maybe Brad's receptive. Did you see what Brad said at that press conference? And of course, except for what Brad said at that one press conference, everything, everything that gave us incremental hope, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, was completely generated from our side of things. It was nothing coming out of Boston or the national media, anything like that. It all came from whether it be somebody we know or an unnamed source, it was all coming from our echo chamber. It was total, it was the perfect example of what the echo, how, how destructive the echo chamber <laughs> can be and how powerful it can be. Potent. Because we were ready, we were a powder keg and we were ready to explode. Now, I do want to say this, like the hate that happened immediately when Brad finally put a kibosh on it on Friday was, I, I mean, I was embarrassed as an Indiana fan by some of the hate that came for Brad Stevens on message boards and on Twitter. Wait, right before we get to that, I want to say it kept building and building and building till the night before a tidbit I heard, maybe it was from you. It kind of hit me and I turned to Annie, my lovely wife, and in the four or five days leading up to it, I hadn't allowed myself to believe it. Think it, certainly not say it. I turned to Annie, I looked at her and I go, I think Brad Stevens is gonna be our next coach. Oh boy. And that was it, that was it. It's on me, it's my fault. As soon as I said it, essentially the next thing I heard was he wasn't coming. Right. So it really, it, it you tried so hard not to go there because you knew it was still a long shot, but you just want to believe so bad. And so I'm assuming many people went on that journey as I did. And so, boom, to your point, then the emotions burst out in a negative sense instead of a celebratory one. It did. And the angst and the rage and the 20 years of frustration poured out and there was Brad Stevens claiming to be a mass hole and rooted for the Patriots, which I know really stuck with you. And he just became the receptacle for two decades of anger and, and rage and disappointment in the mistakes that have been made and, and, and anger at how Indiana has been mismanaged for 20 years. And then once that kind of rage poured out, then what replaced it was, and here are your new options. Well, and, and I will say the rage though, it was pointing it wherever you could. Yes, some came out on Brad as a devout Colts fan, 
I had heard earlier in the week how close he was with Josh McDaniels, which I immediately pushed out of my mind <laughs> because that is a serious strike against any human being. But then calling himself a masshole, I really don't have, I don't know really many Massachusetts people. So that doesn't hit me that close to home. But when he said a guy who was born and raised and lived in Indianapolis or thereabouts for over 30 plus years, that a few years in New England and you're a Patriots fan, it, it, it honestly, honestly, between that and knowing he's friends with McDaniels, I could almost let him go immediately. <laughs> it, it wasn't it wasn't really being mad at him. It was just like, you know what? Forget you then. And it does make me wonder, did he pull any kind of McDaniels? Did he express interest? Did did we get let on a little bit be, because of what was coming from that side of things? We may never know, but we I was immediately... never know, but I don't I don't believe so. I yeah, really don't. I think the guy is a super nice guy and polite and flattered by the attention and flattered by Scott Dolson in Indiana coming after him and and expressing real interest. So he doesn't want to shove the door in their face. And so he probably allowed them to make their pitch, you know, and give them the respect to do whatever that initial pitch was and then told them I'm not going. And 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 look, born and raised Indiana guy. I think a lot of us are pleasers, we're polite, we're nice, and clearly Brad still has a lot of affection for home. Sure. And in expressing that, in his mind, he could have been like, I'm showing the love and respect I have for that state and the sport, and even what I, you meant to me growing up, I don't want to like blow that off and, and, and say publicly that doesn't mean anything to me, that's not who I am, but he might not have factored in what that would do to our minds and make us all absolutely insane picking that thing apart and it could have ended it, i think it did kind of blow up in his face rather if he just said no hey that's very nice of them but no chance in hell the first if, if that was the first thing he'd said publicly because he said no i am not yeah he but, did say no i am not very clearly very directly the first time he was asked about this i mean like like people just forgot about that well, well i am not isn't strong enough because <laughs> i am not means today it, but tomorrow i am not meant that yesterday he wasn't doing it but i am not doesn't mean that i'm not going to like we but just were so thirsty in the desert mm -hmm. that we drank the sand that's <laughs> what happened Absolutely. that is what happened and then i will say again the clip that went out about the press conference where he spoke glowingly, which was, I think, that night after he said, I am not. Exactly. That's why we all ignored what he said that morning. But everybody clipped out the question. And in the question that led Brad to speak glowingly, the questioner said, I know you said there's no way you're taking the Indiana job earlier, but can you talk about how hard that job is? And no one included that as part of it and so brad then was like he just answered the question that was asked of him and it did lead him to talk glowingly about his connection to his dad and the state and the people but again it was echo chamber and you and i've talked about this it was reality distortion field mm -hmm. we wanted something so badly that we squinted and twisted everything to fit the narrative that we wanted and yes. that's what happened he didn't do anything wrong 
And to the vast majority of us, I'll certainly include myself in this, who are really just getting third, fourth, fifth hand reports, it's a big game of telephone that that were we were somewhat victims of those closer to the circle that's true put, putting out the positive there was a lot of smoke there was a lot of smoke and we know with nick saban and whoever else a lot of times no doesn't mean no it means there's complicated negotiations that have to happen before right. i can say anything besides no um so i do i do feel bad for for the vast majority of us who weren't perpetuating it any more than, you know, I, sh I guess I perpetuated it and maybe like I'm texting friends who are looking at the same things I am and putting it out there and, and kicking all that around. But regardless, it, it, it was fun. It was fun until it was over. Yeah. It was and fun then... until it wasn't. <laughs> it was fun until it wasn't. And, and then, then, and then after, I don't know, 12 hours of hate and rage and whatever, and Brad became the pinata for it. Mm -hmm. Then what replaced it was the, the reality of now who is out there. And the truth is that everyone who was named, and I still think to tonight when we're recording this Monday night, is impacted by the disappointment of the Brad shadow like that. I do think that that is a big part of because look, Ward, I'm going to, I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit. Sure. Cheney. See, Cheney doesn't like what's going on either. Um, a couple months ago, you and I talked about the possibility of what happens if Archie just doesn't work out. What if they're unable to turn this around? And we had like, we were so calm. We were so we were so um, logical because then there's no emotion back like a couple months ago. It was like, yeah, it just seems so far off. And we were like, well, look, we're not getting Brad Stevens. We're not getting right. Billy Donovan. So what's the best we could do? And you and I fell in love with the idea of John Beeline. Absolutely. We fell in love with it and the idea of bringing in a potential successor. So bring that, in John Beeline. Have to. Have yes, to. and bring in a Michael Lewis, bring in a Dane Fife. I mean, now people have talked about Calbert Cheney. I, you know, we 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 fell in love with it. That was always part of the deal, was that home there run. was a, an IU successor there to a, a home run Hall of Fame coach. And that was before we went on the Stevens Colossus roller coaster. And now... There's a couple people like I know a bunch of Peaksters have gotten excited about Chris Beard. I know that some people have gotten excited about Eric Musselman, like you. <laughs> but but everyone is comparing it to Stevens. And now, like the Beeline thing, like you're not even as excited about it anymore as well, you used to be. But look, you you kind of blazed over a bunch of stuff. I did. One, one thing I want to say is. Now this is is taking longer with the thought of it's beeline, uh, if it's if it's Thad Mata, if it's anything like that, like, oh, well, if they're they're not coaching right now, this should be done by now. What's going on? I do wonder with the the Stevens fallout, if there's any strategy here, pure speculation of like, let people get over Brad and let them all start talking about these half dozen other people 
And I think that's, I think most people have already moved on. Like even on the message boards or conversations I'm having with people, I think because nobody really expected Brad until 10 days ago, nobody was like, we're gonna go get Brad next. It was like all of a sudden like, holy shit, we might get Brad this time. Ah! We didn't get Brad this time, but we're, we, we all quickly realized we're no worse off than we were 10 days ago. In fact, we are better off because we know Archie Miller's not gonna be our coach next year. So I feel like the fan base as a whole reset pretty quickly to now we're getting upset if we hear that nobody's talking to Chris Beard. You know, now-, now I agree, let's take one half step back because I do wanna talk about, it was a very volatile hot board situation and what were the big name but the one name that kind of rose quickly to the top was mike woodson you know that was a name that got a lot of buzz and there's a lot of reasons why the nba style you know there can you can you take a little bit of what you've learned from the juan howard but combine it with somebody who's really connected to the past galvanize the support of indiana and you and I got to know Mike Woodson a little bit. We had him on the show. He was super classy and nice to us. He's got a tremendous basketball resume. But the hate that has been spewed at even the idea of Mike Woodson by the vast majority of IU fans, I, I have been, like, hurt by it. Like, I feel bad for – I don't think Mike Woodson's on the Pigs uh, message boards. Like, let me make that clear. But I hope but it, not. It bugs me. It does hurt me. I mean, I understand everybody wants the same thing. We all want to win and we all want to get back. But my God, Mike Woodson does not deserve the vitriol uh, that people have been throwing at the idea of him being the head coach. And I tried on message boards and chats to defend him a little bit. Yeah. And it is like a losing battle. I mean, well, people I disagree. I disagree. I agree that in that first, okay, because once Brad goes away, I think Chris Beard, there was even a poll on Pigs. Who do you want to be the next head sure. coach? 80% said Chris Beard. I don't think anybody else was over 10%. Everybody immediately dropped Brad and ran over to Beard. So then when kind of coming out of nowhere, Woodson starts getting his name floated around in the first 24, 48 hours. I agree. Like 90% was like, Oh my God, ah, no way. I'm going to quit. I'm going to root for Purdue. Like just right. stupid stuff. But where I disagree is that I think let's say in the last 48 hours, people have started to get a little more educated and you see more people saying, you know what? I'm kind of warming up to Woodson because like we got to do for our podcast, you go and really look what he did in the NBA. You know, you see the way he turned around the Hawks, the way he led New York to their best season since Jeff Van Gundy. You start to learn, oh, part of the reason he's still in the game at the highest level is because he's a really damn good coach who really is known for connecting, not just with the players, with the younger players. And then you, and and so I do think that those hot take knee jerk reactions were terrible. But as the fan base starts to educate itself on Mike Woodson, it's becoming more palatable. Okay, but I was on the Pigs chat before we started this podcast, and I'll just say those educated fans weren't on the chat. Okay, and there were about a thousand people on the chat. And yeah. I, look, 
I do get it on some level. It's not the sexy home run hire, but that is the problem with Stevens mania because it set the bar at no doubt third deck home run and everything just pales in comparison. And I get the Chris Beard thing, but I, this is what I go back to. And I've said it a couple of times on message boards and I want to come back to Woodson. So remind me to come yes. back to Woodson. Scott Dolson is us. As a kid, he was us. Grew up in Indiana, was obsessed with Indiana basketball, wasn't anywhere near a good enough basketball player to play basketball for Indiana. But what was the closest he could get? He did what Ward Roberts thought about doing, becoming a manager. Luckily for Scott, he didn't have a theatrical bone in his body. (laughs) So he was like, this is going to be my life. I can do this. I don't need to sacrifice. I'm not sacrificing anything else. This is going to be my life. And he did it. Mm -hmm. And then he worked for Tim Knight. And then he worked for Indiana Varsity Club. And he, he spent his entire life loving Indiana and raising funds for Indiana and supporting Indiana and finally got the job as athletic director about nine to 10 months ago. And since then, he's had four major things that he has done. A lot of stuff that we'll never know behind the scenes, but four major things. Number one, you lose your defensive coordinator that led Indiana defense to the first time Indiana's had, honestly, a really good defense in, I don't know, since we've been alive. Yeah. Right? Yep. And he replaced him by spending more money in in a global pandemic for an SEC stud. That's number one. Number two, he loses the running back coach who got a Stevie Scott and Samson James and all these really great players. And he replaced him with a third deck home run, Dylan McCullough from the NFL. He gets him to come back, associate head coach and running back coach. He spends more money. A Super Bowl champion. Super Bowl champion. Super Bowl champion on our staff. And back-to-back Super Bowl appearances, right? Mm -hmm. And signs him for more money in a global pandemic. Number three. Vultures are going to start to circle our head coach who became the hottest name in college football last year. He was the superstar of college football. We have a huge buyout attached to Tom Allen. There was no, we did not have to change his deal, but Scott wanted him to know, don't even think about listening to other people. So he gave him a raise a year before he really needed to, to pay him in the upper echelon of the big 10 and a rate that is commiserate with what he is doing and his peers in the Big Ten. And we got him for a long time. No worries about Tom Allen. Those three things. And then the crown jewel asset, Indiana basketball. He looked around. He studied it. He talked to tons of people over the last couple months to get their thoughts. He studied recruiting. He studied the transfer market. He talked to coaches. He talked to pundits. He talked to former players and then made the decision within 72 hours of, and probably made the decision earlier and just waited to announce it, that this wasn't good enough and I don't care what it costs. I'm gonna go get the money because this isn't good enough and not on my watch. So those four things were four big things. They were, I do not think that any of them were just like, take, I, we shouldn't take any of them for granted. Sure. I have extreme confidence that Scott Dolson is not going to screw this up. And why that goes back to Mike Woodson is, if Scott Dolson goes through this process 
and decides that Mike Woodson and whatever package he puts around him is right for Indiana basketball, then I trust Scott Dolson more than I trust turd burglar 72 in a <laughs> chat room or IE 2572 go F yourself on a, on a message board. Like sure. I really do. And I trust him more than me. I trust him more than oh. my opinion. And I love my opinion. No one loves my opinion. No one loves their opinion more than Eric loves his opinion. Often wrong, never in doubt. Often wrong, never in doubt. But yeah. on this, on this, I am in complete doubt that I could make the right call. And I trust this guy who has lived it and breathed it. And it's his legacy on the line. His sure. legacy is on the line. And he has given us no reason to have anything but complete confidence in him so far. Okay, so I hear you. I feel you. I feel you. I do trust Scott, but I'll go back. I'll start with the, the, the last week where nobody knows anything. Unless you're Scott or one of the very few people actually involved with discussions and negotiations, nobody knows anything. So then I'm going to extrapolate that out to hiring head coaches. I don't think anybody really knows anything. Are people more informed? Do they have more information from other people who are really smart inside the game, who know way more than any of us, who haven't dedicated our lives to the coaching profession? Yes. So I believe Scott is much, much, much better informed than anybody we've talked to or anybody we know over the last how 10 days. But that being said, there's a chance Brad Stevens wouldn't have worked out. There's a chance that um, Mike Woodson would lead us to back-to-back -back championships. <laughs> there's a chance Eric Musselman would never make it to the NCAA tournament. There's a chance Chris Beard would end up having some sort of controversy halfway through his first season and get shown the door. Okay, and get so, Indiana rung up on NCAA violations. Yeah, so I think what I understand, because I felt it myself when I first started hearing Woody rising through the ranks of the rumor mill, when Calbert Cheney starts taking a more prominent position in sort of hot board discussions, my favorite basketball player of all time, the initial thought is these guys are even a combination of these guys I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what that's going to look like on the court. I just watched Chris Beard play Eric Musselman in a really hard fought game to get to the Sweet 16. And I've seen what those guys do at the college level, Division One Power Conference. So I, I really have something to go off of over the last few years. And, and so then when you're asking me to take this leap of faith yes. with our Hoosier guys, I told, and, 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 and I knew that stuff about Woody, whereas most people don't. Most people don't really know what he's been doing these last 30 years. Um, so I get the initial reactions. I wish people would take a deep breath before they put it out there in a way that's just like mean. And this is what I will say. I think anybody that's been mentioned thus far, really anybody, at least 10 deep, we're going to be better the next four years than we were the last four. But as fans, whatever disappointments we've had so far, and 
whatever disappointment you feel in the first 24 or 48 hours of whoever gets named, because I think no matter who it is at this point, some people are going to be disappointed. Our job is to put that aside after we hopefully more privately work through that. And then as a fan base says, all right, we're a hundred percent behind you. Whoever he names, I think we owe them at least two seasons of just giving them all the positivity and all the optimism. Because when you talk about our discussion with Jay Billis, okay? No, it's not our fault in the third or fourth year if we're seeing a shitty team on the court game after game. And at a certain point, it's absolutely natural, expected, and in large part, our duty to express our dismay at what we're seeing out on the floor. But anybody who shows up in Bloomington in the next few weeks ready to do this job for us, if we're tearing them down before they even get started, okay, well, then that is on us. If recruits are seeing on Twitter before they even get a chance to talk to this guy that half of us think it was a shitty decision, then we are hurting ourselves. I, I couldn't agree more. And I'm glad you brought up the Billis thing because just days after the Billis conversation that we have, and we had disagreements. Oh, oh yeah, that happened. Yeah, that was part of our roller coaster, which was amazing. Um, but EJ Liddell comes out after they lose and he posts these, I don't know if they were texts that he got, that somebody got his phone number or DMs on Twitter, but people threatening to kill him, basically. Now, those are Ohio State fans, okay? So toxicity reigns supreme, okay? It, it's everywhere. And it was despicable. It was absolutely despicable. And I was like saying to myself, I know things get bad at Indiana, but I don't ever remember hearing that. Although my mind did go back to like, remember Christian Watford told us that he got called like the N-word? Mm -hmm. You know, or, or was it Watford or Creek? It might've been Creek. I thought it was Watford. Watford, I think you're right. Yeah, I think it's Watford. And I was like, oh, well, you know, there are some fans who are just the worst. I do believe in my heart those are the outliers. Those are the exceptions to the rule. I have to believe that. Often the then, vocal minority. But then I go on a chat board last night, I think it was yesterday, where I see this hate being spewed towards Woodson. And I'm trying to just make the case for why I don't think it's crazy and why I would support it. And I'm scrolling and I see, and I'm just going to call it out. I see somebody's screen name, Fried Okra 2272. And he just writes, if Mike Woodson was white, he wouldn't even be considered. Mm. And nobody said anything. It just kind of went by. And I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, and I'm, I, I even hear you in my head, how you've told me, like, don't give in to the bad stuff you know like when somebody tweets hated us on twitter or something just ignore it and i know this is different it's a chat thing and it's more insular it's not going out in the public but i just couldn't uh i couldn't resist so i responded to it and i'm like this comment sickens me it sickens me and i had a whole response that i was going to make like a logical response and realize there is no logical response like it's not going to convince that guy but then what i did say is Hey, also, Fried Okra, if you're going to make a comment like that, would you mind using your real name so we can at least know who the racist is? And, and then I was happy to see kind of the fan base that was on 
chat. It wasn't a ton of people, but they kind of rallied. We all kind of got together and we're like, yeah, screw that guy. And then the moderator kicked him off the chat. And I'm like, that's what we should be doing as a fan base to people like that. We should be ostracizing those kinds of people from our fan base because I don't want to be associated with that. And, and not to mention the stupidity of it, which I was going to talk about, but like Randy Whitman's white. Randy Whitman played the same era as Mike Woodson. Randy Whitman has a similar NBA background to, to uh, Mike Woodson. He's not a serious candidate this time around. Well, if you believed what you wrote, Dick Munch, then why wouldn't any white guy with that background be a serious candidate? No, Mike Woodson is a serious candidate, if he is, because Scott Dolson believes he can help us win. And if Scott Dolson chooses him, or whoever Scott Dolson chooses, white, black, yellow, green, purple, brown, it's because Scott Dolson thinks that guy can help us get back to the level that Scott Dolson knows in his gut and heart and soul is where we should be. I have true faith in that. It doesn't mean it's going to work out, like you said, Ward. It doesn't. And I agree with you. Nobody knows anything. And in the end, these coaching decisions come down to, like, gut as much as anything. Well, you know, and, and I trust Scott's gut because it's in him. Like, like, and if it doesn't work out, it's not because he's an idiot. It's not because he should have known better. It's because if it doesn't work out, because it didn't work out. Like, yeah, look, that's I, it. I think, you know, okay, Whitman is a case where I think you could look at Whitman, you could look at Keith Smart. And then there's sort of, you know, a younger, even less seasoned Calvert Chaney, as far as great IU players, legends, played pro ball in the professional coaching ranks. You compare those four resumes, and Mike Woodson clearly, clearly is the guy of those four you put forward and saying he is the most accomplished for the most amount of time. And, and is still there, you know, like you, you don't get to be an assistant coach in the NBA, even if you were a head coach for a while, you know, 30 years we're talking about between the head coaching and assistant coaching. There's so many great coaches out there who would kill for those jobs. Mike Woodson didn't keep getting those jobs because he's a nice guy. Okay. It's because he's really, really, he's one of the best in the world at what he does. And the reason his name has catapulted ahead of those other names I just mentioned is because he's the best of the best at that level. And okay? can I jump in there for a second? Sure. I called Jared Jeffries when the Woodson stuff was going on. And I don't think Jared would mind me divulging what he said to me. Jared played for Mike Woodson, yes. right? When, when he was on the Knicks. And Jared traveled in NBA circles. He was in the front office of Denver. Mm -hmm. I said, Jared, what do you think of Mike Woodson? And Jared said, well, let me tell you, out of all the people that have come out of Indiana that I know, he's got the best basketball mind. That was one thing that Jared said. The next thing I said to him, all right, but what was his relationship like with players? He goes, Woody? He's like, the best. He's like, when you played for Woody, you wanted to go out and make him proud the way you want to make your dad proud of you. He's like, you love him. He, that's what he does better than anybody. Everybody was Woodson's boy. Like everybody loved him that played for him. Now, I'm sure some players didn't, but that was Jared's, Jared's take playing for him. And I was like, wow, like Jared Jeffries knows more about Mike Woodson than I do, more than Turd Burglar 27, more than Fried Okra Asshole 42. Like that, 
can't we just take a step back and listen a little bit to the people that may have more information, even though it may ultimately not work out, it's not insane to be considering him. And we're not even saying he's the choice. He may not be, but I just hate the hatred. Well, and, and that's where stories like that start to get out there, you know, and sure. Now when we're in this, this finding out who it's going to be phase, I think it's important. We are talking about our own, certainly the one of our own, who's the most prominent in this discussion, but I do think there'll be an education of the fans, you know, in the wake of whoever it is to come around to, oh, okay, this wasn't just like Scott being like, oh, I'm getting a lot of pressure from the night guys that I managed under and who were before and after me. I guess I better cave to them. Like Scott's not going to do this. This is Scott's job, his career, his legacy. He is not going to put any one or six people's opinion of him or the process ahead of his own livelihood and legacy and more than anything ahead of his own love and desire to return this program to national prominence so i think and i know it got posted at least twice this video that's out there from some knicks guys where they had um kenyon uh, martin kenyon martin on and a couple more Ray, ray felton talking about mike woodson not as Indiana guys, not in the context of IU, just of like really echoing the sentiments, what you said about Jared Jeffries, both that like they loved Mike, like they felt a connection to him, but that Mike would also like tell him what's up. He wasn't just like the assistant coach you go and cry to because a lot of these guys were playing for him when he was the head coach of the Knicks. And I think they were talking about him when he was hired to come back for Tibbs. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind, is Tom Thibodeau going to bring Mike Woodson in because they have a friendly rapport? No, it's because Tibbs is awesome at defense and everybody knows Woody is good at offense. And Tibbs also doesn't necessarily love bringing up the younger guys. So when you're talking about, oh, okay, Woody's good enough for Tibbs to be his offensive counterpoint. Oh, and Tibbs doesn't really connect well with the younger guys. In the NBA, that means 19 and 20 year olds, okay? I think if Woody is professionally in New York City to connect to younger basketball players, he could probably connect to a 17 year old kid from Indianapolis pretty damn well. And oh yeah, where does every recruit that we want ultimately want to get to, to where Mike Woodson's been for 30 years. So look, we don't know who it's going to be, but I think it's important that we lay this out now, because if it does end up being Woody, we shouldn't all just rally around him because he's an IU guy. We should rally around him because he's unbelievably qualified as a basketball coach. And we want to give whoever it is the best chance possible. So I think that's our public service announcement that really should apply to anybody who gets the job, but certainly Mike Woodson. All right, so wait, I just, Ward put in a little edit transition there. So I do wanna just explain what happened just now. We did just have an off the record conversation with somebody very close to the Indiana University basketball program. Not talking about coaching searches and stuff, just talking about the mood of the people that are still there. And it's an interesting dynamic because I think the thing we forget during this coaching search craziness is that there's a group of young people there that are like unsure about what their future is. 
and they all thought they knew what their future was and they all thought they had that mapped out. This is a stressful time. And I think that us fans need to take a step back and go, there's people that are making life decisions right now that are a lot more important than the stress or angst we feel about this coach. And uh, it just provides a little bit of perspective on where we are. And, and to piggyback on that, this person whose fate is so much more intimately tied to what's going on right now than any of ours also took a step back and said, you know, but is any of this really that big a deal? You know, and if, <laughs> and, and if somebody who's, who's so caught up in it and whose whole life is in limbo right now, and there's nothing this person can do about it besides wait to see what their future holds, if they can have that perspective, I hope all of us can. And, and that's to say, have, have as much fun right now as you can. Just revel in the hope and the optimism of wherever we're going. And if you find yourself legitimately in a bad mood or being like short or grouchy with your loved ones, maybe it's time for a reality check. Maybe it's time to go for a walk, uh, call somebody you care about, you haven't talked to in a while because they're not all wrapped up in Indiana University basketball and, and get a little perspective because it's, it's just not worth losing sleep over. Okay, but now let's get back into talking about the craziness. Right, okay, right. <laughs> so we were talking about the NBA life and how that is important for recruits because clearly that's where they want to go. And that, that more than ever in recruiting, the path to the NBA, how to get there, being best prepared for it is a big deal in recruiting. There is one name that we have not talked about that is an Indiana connection to the NBA that has not gotten a lot of publicity. Um, he was not a former player. But just going to throw it out. Lawrence Frank. I'm so glad you brought up his name because before we did this, I'm like, we've all just examined the same six or seven names from every angle over the last week. Who's, who's out there that we haven't discussed? And I think that's one of those where maybe none of us see it coming and it happens and it's like, holy shit, that's genius. What, what, what would your take be on Lawrence Frank? I would love it. I would absolutely love it. I mean, Lawrence Frank is a guy who was a manager under Bobby Knight, similar to Scott Dolson, mm -hmm. uh, clearly gets it when it comes to what Indiana is, and then had a long career as an NBA assistant, became the head coach of the New Jersey Nets, where he did have some success, went to the Detroit Pist Pistons as a head coach, which is just a dumpster fire of an organization. Oh, nobody can succeed there. And really nobody has since Larry Brown, you know, won the championship with Chauncey Billups and Rip Hamilton and Rasheed Wallace. And I, all don't, I don't like talking about that team. I get it. Sure. But it, it's a dumpster fire. And then what he's done is become the executive vice president of the Los Angeles Clippers who orchestrated maybe – Outside of like LeBron to the Lakers, which was different because that was really LeBron making a business decision, you right. know, like what he wanted to do with his life and empire. But getting Kawhi Leonard to come to the Los Angeles Clippers may have been the greatest recruiting coup in NBA history. I mean, it's, it's way up there. And I remember reading about Lawrence Frank 
during the courting of Kawhi Leonard, like the year before, he would just show up at other arenas that Kawhi <laughs> Leonard was playing in and just have a seat in the arena and recruited the hell out of Kawhi Leonard. And when everybody thought Kawhi was going to go to the Lakers and be part of that dream team with Anthony Davis and LeBron, he went to the Clippers. He's He made was part of making the hard decision to get rid of Doc Rivers because it felt like they capped out and they have this, you know, and then, and then organized the coup to get Paul George also. And I don't want to get into Paul George. I know you have strong feelings about you're, Paul you're George. You're bringing up a lot of triggers for me right but now. My, my point is, my point is Lawrence Frank is a bona fide dude when it comes to NBA. Head coaching experience, clearly knows what it takes to get to the NBA, clearly knows how to help develop like a plan for players clearly has an eye for talent gets indiana and didn't play for the hoosiers but i mean i know he hasn't gotten a lot of talk but this is where i wanted this conversation to go ward i'm gonna say something crazy okay i mean look it could very well be john beeline it could very well be mike woodson but there is part of me that does think that when the announcement is made, it is going to be somebody that didn't get talked about. And the two people that pop into my head for that are Lawrence Frank and Tony Bennett. Yeah, you, you threw the Tony Bennett at me the other day. And, you no, know, by the way, no inside knowledge, none. Yeah, zero. yeah. Zero. But, but because what's crazy is I think everybody, myself included, are like, well, that's more unrealistic than Brad. Yeah. And that's and that's why he doesn't that's get That's where I up. live, Ward. And that's but where I live. Let, let me, yeah. I, I you see wanna, let's talk about Lawrence Frank a little bit. Yeah, yeah. This is what I wanted to, to talk about with the Frankster is we love to parse uh, the press conferences, take apart every little thing. And one thing that's been kicked around a lot lately is Scott Dolson's looking for a partner, a CEO for the next 20 years. And maybe nobody better fits the bill than Lawrence Frank as somebody who's going to oversee this program. And I think, you know, then then you get, well, oh, okay, well, what's the X's and O's? How is he as a basketball coach? Well, good enough to be a head coach in the NBA for many seasons. So you got to figure he's got that part down too. But in a way, no other candidate has a guy who can look over an entire organization, a brand that is Indiana basketball and know what the hell he's doing. Is Jerry West still at the Clippers? Yes. He's still there, right? Okay, so I think if Jerry West, the logo, the greatest executive in NBA history, thinks it's worthwhile to have Lawrence Frank around, ah, Steve Ballmer made a few billion, thinks that Lawrence Frank is pretty good at running their organization and having huge responsibilities within it, yeah. Yeah, I think he could handle IU basketball. And look, Lawrence Frank, I'm just looking at his NBA resume, went to the conference semifinals three out of six years with New Jersey. They definitely tanked at the end. His last three years were not good. He, his last year, they did start 0-16. And, and then he got yeah, let go. Yeah. But, but we also know, fired. <laughs> but we also know, it's just about the talent. Like, if you don't have the talent, a good coach isn't taking bad talent in the NBA and winning playoff series. Like, well, he's not. A good coach will take good talent and make them better, like always. Phil Jackson, I'm sure, is a very good basketball coach, but he also has all his rings because of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant. Like, it's, you know, it's not a coincidence. And I think 
that's and let's not keep talking about Woody, but that's one of those things. When once people dive in and look at the reality of his two head coaching tenures, it's it's quite impressive because you are not in charge of who's on your team as an NBA coach. You're just doing the best with what you've got. Um, so I think Lawrence Frank is, it's fun, the idea of all of these guys we've talked about ad nauseum, one of our favorite phrases, if mm -hmm. you'll say, uh, of the last few weeks is, it would just be so fresh and surprising. I think everybody would be so shocked they couldn't be angry right away because they'd have to go look look up what he's done and then be really impressed when they do that. He's just a super successful human being. I know people that know him and speak glowingly of him, like how smart he is. And I'm telling you, the recruitment of Kawhi Leonard was next level. It was next level. And part of that recruitment was them telling him, we're going to get Paul George too, who Kawhi Leonard wanted to play with. So I would be excited. And then I want to move on to Tony Bennett. So again, I will indulge you on Tony Bennett. I, I just, if it was John Beeline, logic says it would have been done already. Like sure. that's the argument. Like why would it take so long? Could it be one of these guys that was playing in the NCAA tournament? Maybe, but if it was Mike Woodson, wouldn't it have been done already? But if it was like, hey, I got word that maybe this guy would listen at this point, and then his team lost in the first round, which was just like last Thursday or Friday, and it took a little bit, you know, to, or Friday or Saturday, I should say, and it just took a couple days. There's just a little part of me, and maybe it's just wishful thinking, that I want like the WWE surprise entrance, like play a theme, like theme music comes that you never expected the guy to return. And here comes freaking Brock Lesnar coming down the aisle. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm just giving in to that part of me that likes the drama and theatrics of that. I totally accept that. But there is part of me that thinks Scott Dolson wants to make a splash. Scott Dolson didn't go get $12 million to go hire somebody that any other AD would have hired. And maybe if you look around, I mean, the best coach in college basketball, there's an argument to be made for a few people, but there is no argument to be had about the best coach in college basketball that does not include Tony Bennett. It, it does not. Fair. Like, Top three, top five, fine. But if you're talking about the best coaches in college basketball, Tony Bennett is on that list, period. And we know that he was kind of on the wish list before, didn't want it. We know that he's got the best possible life he could have in Virginia. He's won a national championship. But there's just something in my head that, that Tony Bennett, Lawrence Frank, I don't know, man. I just think, I don't know. I just, there's something gnawing at me that this was a plan all along and Scott has been so tight-lipped about it and close to the vest and nobody knows anything that maybe there's something that's just going to shock us all. I appreciate the novelty of this name and this, this argument. We all know the history of him not wanting the job earlier, probably in large part because he wasn't particularly fond of IU because they'd fired his sister all different people around now. So you could say, well, maybe he could get over that. And I was told that the sister thing is not an issue anymore. Okay. Okay. So there you go. Uh, money talks. I would imagine Scott Dolson 
can pay him more than Virginia can or is willing to. But there's there's two things where it's like he is set up to dominate the ACC for the rest of his life because the other best coaches, including Leonard Hamilton, are all up there. They're all I think like they're all over 70. Yeah, yeah. That's there's three old dudes who he's competing with right now. And oh, wait, none of the four. Bayheim. Oh, Bayheim. Bayheim's 106 years old. I told you this, and anybody watching the West Virginia Syracuse game heard it, that when Jim Bayheim was like in his third game as a coach, he was facing off against West Virginia, who's who had on their roster Bob Huggins in 1976. Phenomenal. And it really made my jaw drop how long that guy's been around. But let's be honest, he shows up in, in, in March pretty regularly, but it's really, it is Roy and it's Coach K and it's Tony every year. And now Leonard Hamilton's fighting his way into the mix to win that conference. So that's gonna be Tony's for as long as he, he wants to be there. And he'll always be revered, his job security, he's good to go forever. So, and then I'll say the, my other side of the argument is we all know we would have loved, loved, loved for IU to have the success that Tony Bennett has had while he's been at Virginia. But he lost in the first round again, and he plays a style of basketball that is, is the optimal version of what we've been watching the last four years. But ultimately, why I've been getting excited about a beeline or, or maybe some of these other guys who could come in a muscleman is I do enjoy offense more than defense. And I'm not going to apologize for that. And, <laughs> and you have to have both. But man, I love the spacing and the movement. And I'm, I guess the idea of yes, we would be a top 10, top 15 team every year. But, but we'd be really prone to being upset by hot shooting three point teams in the tournament. And that game in and game out, it's not going to be um, the most exhilarating style of basketball. Those would be all the ways I'll, if I thought we were going to get Tony Bennett, I would not be disappointed if we didn't get him. But since I don't think we're going to get him anyway, this is really just indulging you. I appreciate that. And I will say, I went back and looked at his offensive rankings. And you're right. Like, his thing is tempo. They don't run a high tempo. Really low right. But their efficiency sure. is really good. Like, yeah. I mean, he has like as many, he has like six years at Virginia where they rank in the top like 30 in offensive efficiency. I was watching the UCLA game tonight against um, Abilene, you know, and I watched the BYU game. UCLA plays a very slow tempo, but mm -hmm. shit, they get open baskets, open looks every time. They take their time and they run motion and they run actions that, that lead to great ball movement and they get great looks. It's like, I, I'll take that. I'll take that. And I will take consistent, you and I have discussed this and we, we fall on somewhat different sides of this. I will take consistently ranking at the top of the Big Ten every year and then roll the dice with the tournament. I really would. Well, because there is, there's that um, that argument of, and, and we heard it a lot with Oregon State, if you were watching that game, that that coach came out of the big sky 
and that he knew it's really you have to be rolling at the end of the year. So you really don't care what you do early on in the conference because you know you have to be clicking on all cylinders for the conference tournament to win that to even get into the NCAA tournament. And I think Izzo, to a certain degree, he's had his share of Big Ten titles, but yeah. we all know Izzo is willing to do whatever he needs to do early on in the conference to find the best combination and experience to get ready in tournament time. Wait a minute, he, but wait a minute, but wait a minute. Mostly he's willing to do that in the non-conference. Izzo cares a lot about the conference. He's willing to experiment those first 10, 12 games, but when he gets into the conference, the dude wants to win the Big Ten, and he's won more than anyone else in his era. Sure, sure, but... I think, okay, then if you want to go with a more extreme recent example is John Beeline, where, and again, I'm, I'm not sitting here remembering his first five or 10 conference games with him tinkering with lineups. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. I don't know, but don't he know. certainly was clicking on all cylinders when it was time for the Big Ten tournament and the NCAA tournament. And to me, um, he yeah. He did win two I, Big Ten titles, though. I mean, what's that? He did win two Big Ten titles. I think he, did he win a couple Big Ten yeah. conference tournaments? Well, but see, Tom Crean won two Big Ten regular season titles, and we all know how he was come tournament time. It wasn't great. So, yeah, I would say if you gun to my head, you want a team that's that's winning more consistently your conference or doing better in March, I would go with March because— yeah, but I, that, I just think it's a false choice. This is, this is the crux of our it, argument. Because it, it, I, mean, I don't think it exists. I don't think it exists that there is a, over a long period of time, I don't really think that there is, there's a, maybe an outlier or two, but it's not a trend where you have teams who are bad in their conference that go consistently deep in the NCAA tournament. I well, just and, and that exists. We're, and we're not talking about these coaches that I just name-checked finishing sixth or seventh in conference and going on these runs. You know, usually they're third or fourth or worst case fifth in the big. Or Bay Bayheim is probably your best example. Bayheim finishes pretty low and then figures out a way to sneak into the tournament and makes the Sweet Sixteen because, more than anybody. Because like, everybody in his conference plays that zone twice a year and they know what to do with it, especially the other good coaches. But the, the other teams in the tournament are like, we haven't seen anything like this ever. Even if the coaches have, the players haven't, and we've we've fallen victim to that, so we know. But. Look, I still would freak out if they got Tony Bennett. Oh, I don't care, man. We would we all freak would. out. Tony Bennett is, I don't even want to call him the poor man's Brad Stevens. He he is the Brad Stevens of college basketball. He's the, who would you say is a, I mean, Coach Krzyzewski, okay? Well, Krzyzewski. if you want to talk about guys Krzyzewski, around that. Jay Wright. Roy Jay Williams. Wright. Like, if we're fantasizing, yeah. I would, I'll fantasize about Jay Wright because he's won two. Yeah, no, no. Jay Wright, Coach Krzyzewski, Tony Bennett. I would say those are the three best coaches in college basketball. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I had a child yelling, and I don't know if you saw my lips move, but I was telling them to be quiet. I did. You I was just saying Jay, Jay Wright, Krzyzewski, and Tony Bennett are the three best coaches in college basketball. Well, Roy Williams has three titles. Yeah, I would. I think Tony Bennett is a better coach than Roy Williams. Yeah, and until he he has at least two thirds the number See, of national. I, we've talked about how hard it is to win a national title. Yeah, and, and Roy's won three. Yes, but my point is they also play in the same conference, and and Roy Williams has not been as successful as Tony Bennett since Tony Bennett got there. 
has has Roy won a national title since Tony Bennett's been there? Oh sure, sure. I think he's probably won two of his three, maybe all three. I don't. Well, know. then then I would say he is more successful. If it's three to one, but he also is at North Carolina, Ward. I mean, yeah, they, that's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, nobody. Virginia had Ralph Sampson. Like, I mean, Roy Williams is coming from a place that has a history of having more NBA players than anyone else. Tony went to Virginia and did it and made himself a perennial power. Again, we're splitting hairs here. Tony Bennett is one of the top five coaches in all of college basketball. And if he were to come to Indiana University, I would streak naked down Kirkwood. What's what's great is that at least for 15, 20 minutes, we've totally distracted people from the the leading candidates that we're all infighting about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we'll go the other direction. I don't know. I think I if you made me make a prediction right now, I would predict that the choice is not it's either not going to be somebody that has been bandied about the most or it's going to be a different take on somebody that we've been bandying about. That is a bold prediction. <laughs> It's it's definitely going to be somebody who it either is, but we haven't been talking about or isn't, and we have been talking. Did you just, was that a Brian Snow quote? Is that what your (laughs) prediction was? Name the top three people that have been talked about the most. Okay, Brad Stevens aside? He doesn't count. Beard, Bayline, and Woodson. Okay, I'll take the field. Yeah, okay. I'll take the field. I just think something weird is going to happen. Now, again, I love WWE. <laughs> okay? I love the fighting is happening in the ring, and then Stone Cold broken glass happens, <laughs> and here comes Stone Cold that you haven't seen in a year. Like, I do love that. And if I were orchestrating the press conference, that is how I would do it. Entrance music, light show, some pyro. Like, I would do that. But... I don't know, man. I think something may weird, something weird may happen. But even if it doesn't, I still go back to I have ultimate faith in Scott Dolson that whoever he picks is the guy to get us back. And I'm going to be in both feet supporting the hell out of that person. Every single person should be. Because there is no question whoever he brings in is going to be immensely qualified. And... So then we're all just guessing. Really, anybody we've talked to about tonight could be wildly successful or a total disaster because shit happens. Oh, 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 this is one thing I did want to say. When plan A didn't come through with plan B, and who knows if we'll ever really hear how it goes down. Oh, we'll get Scott Dolson back on and grill him about how it went down. Well, we'll see because if, look, if he ended up talking to three other guys and went with a fourth guy and whether that guy was the fourth on that list or it was just kind of back and forth all around and it ended up being this guy seemed like the best fit, there's a lot of reasons people might not want to make that public ever. Well, we'll just make him really uncomfortable in answering that question. You're great at that. And I I look forward (laughs) to you doing that, but... I go back to our Brian Evans conversation about how Cal pitched himself to Evans twice about wanting the Indiana job. And you can say Indiana has become a tougher sell since Cal wanted the job so bad twice. Um, And 
but it just made me feel like maybe part of this equation and part of why it's taking a little bit longer is because there is three or four qualified guys that Scott feels really good about on paper and the homework he's done he's like this could work but I do wonder if part of the decision coming comes down to talking to that person and hearing in their voice what we heard from Mike Lewis last week like an understanding of 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 really it comes down to passion IU basketball, whatever the identity is, but I think you could go back to Branch McCracken, you could go back to Bobby Knight, you could go to right now what's going on today. The passion is undeniable uh, when it comes to what is the identity of Indiana basketball. And I, I just wonder if that ends up being a deciding factor for Scott, because it's like A, B, or C, I'm looking at you all on paper, you could all potentially get it done. Now let me hear it. Let me hear it in your voice. Let me see it in your eyes. And I would be curious to know if that ends up being a deciding factor, because I do think that some of that special sauce you talk about where all things being equal, nobody knows anything who's got the heart for it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I also want to point out Michael Lewis was on our podcast last week and all that's happened to Michael Lewis since then is he wins a first four game. He wins a first round game. He wins a second round game and they're in the sweet 16. Okay. Dane Fife, who was supposed to be on the show, didn't come on, loses a first four game. Coincidence? I think not. No. Nope. on the show, best season in the history of Indiana football. Tom Allen comes on the show again, million-dollar raise. Terry <laughs> Morin comes on the show. Terry Morin comes on the show. What happens next? Best season in the history of IU women's basketball, who, by the way, today, Monday, won their first-round game, smoked the team. Kicked ass. And now playing Belmont on Wednesday for a chance to go to the Sweet 16. So that's awesome. Archie Miller came on the show. All right, forget the Archie Miller example. Forget the Archie Miller example. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still excited. I'm still supremely confident. And I will say this, we didn't even address this. Look, we, this was an old school episode. We went back to our roots. It was just me and you going nuts about Indiana basketball and Doug. Uh, Clearly not as interesting as when we bring somebody else on. Clearly not as appealing <laughs> to the general audience. But it felt like we just needed to, we needed to cathartically go through what is happening as fans right now. And I hope that other fans that are listening to this kind of are cathartically going through it with us too. I hope some of the anger subsides. I hope, like you said, we all get on board with whoever Scott chooses. He's got to. No reason. He's got to no reason to doubt him yet. Let's give him, let him give us reason in performance before we doubt him. Okay. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. He deserves it. The kids that are going to play for us deserve it. The new coach deserves it. Indiana deserves it. And damn it. My heart deserves it because it cannot take the angst. It cannot take it. And here we started off the program with you thinking you needed to talk me off the ledge. And now you're now you're pleading with our listeners for your own mental well-being. How I'm, the how the turns have tabled. Wait a minute though. I'm not negative at all. No, you're not. You're not. Can I be negative for a second in uh, a slightly different direction? Yeah. I know you were wrapping it up really beautifully, but I did want to get this in. How fucking overrated is the Big Ten? Oh, we got to do a reasonable rabbi on this. And if this is not a wake-up call to the conference that has 
kowtowed to Izzo and Painter for their shitty style of basketball. Come on, guys. Now it's going to be 20 plus years. Well, wait a minute. Michigan's still in. Yeah, yeah. But what, and that's fine. That's, and I like Michigan. I, I actually do. I, I but I can't help myself. I like the style of basketball. They may win the national championship, but if they do, it's because they're playing non-Big Ten basketball. Exactly. And look, maybe maybe that's something Scott's looking at. Like, oh, look, Juwan's able to run circles around these guys and their tackle basketball. But at the end of the day, we've had to hear about it for two straight seasons, how great the Big Ten is and is the best conference and the deepest conference. And guess what? We got one team in the Sweet 16, and the Pac-12 has three. Okay? Like, is that all they have? Yeah, it's Oregon State, it's UCLA. Oh, what? maybe USC's in there now, oh, too? USC beat Kansas tonight. They're in. Oh, and so Oregon. That's four. And Oregon. No, it's five. Wait. I don't what? think the Pac-12 has lost yet, Ward. That's insane. That's insane. Wait, I, I think. Let me just look it up. I don't think the Pac-12 has lost a game. I think they got five teams in. Oregon State won, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, they beat Oklahoma. All right, so hold on. Here it is. The Sweet 16 right now. You have, count them for me as I name them, okay? You have USC, Oregon, Oregon State, UCLA. How many is that? Four. They have four teams in the Sweet 16. Four. That's four times as many as the Big Ten. They've got a fourth of the conf- the fourth of the final sixteen is Pac-12, and it, and everybody shit all over them. But we're out here. We watch them. They play wide open basketball. They have athletes. They shoot. They like it's free flowing. And meanwhile, the Big Ten plotting crap. I mean, when you watched Wisconsin play against whoever the hell they played against, who they play against Oregon. No, no, no. Baylor? Baylor. It's like, it's not even close. USC beats Kansas. I mean, UCLA, you know, beat Michigan State. It's like these Pac-12 teams, you look at the teams that are in it. Like, just look at the teams that are in it. Gonzaga, wide open. Baylor, wide open. Michigan, wide open. Alabama playing wide open under Nate Oates, you know, and playing different. Loyola different style Villanova I mean they're just they've been playing a pro style for a while now Florida State's a little bit of a throwback they they play like a a real you know defensive minded Syracuse Houston to Kelvin Sam <laughs> but Arkansas Musselman's playing a pro style uh, Oral Roberts I don't know what they do USC wide open Oregon wide open Oregon State, wide open. UCLA, yeah, yeah. their offense is actually much more spread out. And so- yeah, we, we get it. We get it. Oh, we're do the you worst. Get it? Yeah, we're- was I making the same point over and over again? <laughs> yeah, you actually, you were starting to repeat teams at that point. I was in a loop. I was in a loop. We all know from football season as well that there are certain schools and athletic directors and coaches that hold a disproportionate sway over what goes on with the conference as a whole. And damn it. When is the dam going to break? It needs to. It's ugly. Recruits don't want to come and play there. We don't win in the NCAA tournament. It's time to wake up. It's time to officiate the games differently, which will open the game up, which will allow different recruits that want to come here. But there are recruit after recruit after recruit that are saying, I'm not coming to the Big Ten because of that style. So hell with that. And And I do think our new coach, 
unless it's Tony Bennett, will embrace <laughs> embrace that new style. So, look, all right, that's good. I just I just wanted to to bitch about our conference for a while because you and I have been beating that drum that like parody does not mean excellence. It's like oh, we all just beat the shit out of each other, and somehow the narrative gets spun that's because we're all so good. It's like no, actually, we're all so meh. Yeah. And and then when all these five stars who go to the coasts or go down south to play that more open style, that's the way it's reft. And they have more Jimmys and Joes yeah. for toast. And when year you need to make plays in the tournament, like, guess what? It doesn't happen with, you know, the fourth guy on Wisconsin. And it's like, it just doesn't happen. So I totally agree with you. But we should save, we'll save a more in-depth conversation about that for a future Reasonable Rabbi episode. Uh, you know, Lord, we were able to get through this without a guest. And the only reason we were able to do that is because we are Power B. Pigs. I'm sorry. It's too late. I'm tired. I just wanted to get through it. It's pigs.com. Greatest website. Two greatest websites ever. Pigs.com and Pornhub. The two greatest <laughs> websites that have ever been created. And uh, while one of them is totally free, the other one is worth the $9.95 a month. And I'll let you decide which one is which. <laughs> All right, buddy. All I know is I'm paying for both. I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. There's premium. There's premium. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not because Annie would see it on the credit cards. There's I, no also, way. Who needs it? No, nobody needs it. Nobody needs it. But somebody must because it's available. Look. What, what are you not seeing on regular Pornhub that you're seeing in premium? I, I can't remember who the comedian was who basically was talking about like, uh, I think it was Joe Rogan. Who's like, why are they still making new porn? <laughs> like, is there anyone that is like, nah, what's out there isn't good enough. I need like the new thing. Isn't there plenty in the reservoir that it just services everybody, whatever you need? Isn't there enough of it? Do you really need to make new stuff? It doesn't seem necessary. At a certain point, like hairstyles change, you know. We'd visible. like to thank our sponsors. Uh, <laughs> I bet hopefully Mike gets to this point in the show and he's thrilled that we're plugging both of these websites together. I mean, look, I use pigs.com a lot more than the other one. I'll just say that. Certainly the last week. This is an awful way to end this. <laughs> but it's so late. We're tired. You know, like, I mean, this coaching search has been draining. I have never been as tired as I was like the full night before the Brad Stevens ending. I was that next day when it all crashed, I was so tired. I mean, so tired. I was emotionally drained and now I'm rejuvenated and optimistic and I'm just ready. I cannot wait to find out who our new coach is so we can accost him mercilessly <laughs> until he comes on this show. I'll say this, I would be up clicking refresh to like 2 a.m. ish. And then I would realize, you know what? Back in Indiana, they're gonna start posting new shit. And yes, <laughs> you, know, you, get, you, you get over the hill and you're like, well, now I can't go to sleep. I gotta see the first thing that happens. I know. Which, which was why I think a lot of us went through that after it all came crashing down on Friday. 
everything just went quiet. Pigs was like, nothing's happening this weekend. Go away. Go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. And, and everything went down. I don't think I checked in with you on Saturday to like late afternoon, early evening, like anything going on or radio silent. And you're like, nope, not really. We were all just, we all needed a break, but here we are. We're revved back up again. And who knows? Maybe we'll find something out this week. I think it's going to be surprising. Let's go. Hoosier hysterics. Hoosier hysterics. 